0: Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them? Do you think they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. This is the word of the Lord. Praise the Lord, everybody. It is good to be in the house of the Lord today. Uh, just in case you don't know it, I'm a black preacher. And, um, <laughs> and um, so I need y'all to help me out a little bit while I'm here for the next 30 minutes. And when I say praise the Lord, everybody, everybody just say praise the Lord. Amen. A couple of y'all been to a couple of black churches. All right, let's try it all over again. Okay. Praise the Lord, everybody. I feel at home now. I'm very, very grateful for the opportunity to be with you on today. Thank God for uh, your wonderful pastor, who has just been a phenomenal friend. We haven't known each other long, but it just seems like when we talk, we've been brothers forever, and I'm I'm just very grateful for the opportunity to be able to serve at at his church here uh, this morning. It was phenomenal at Overcoming Believers Church, and I'm just really believing that we're going to get a double portion on tonight to Lawrence. I thank God for you and appreciate the opportunity, uh, to be here. He introduced me to his pastor and I am, uh, forever in debt to you because of your part in building that relationship. Met a few of you before and, um, uh, I'm just very excited about what you guys are doing here in the city of Knoxville. Uh, for many of you, we have been neighbors for years. You can talk about the Park Ridge community. Uh, our church was uh, hosting services in Fifth Avenue Baptist Church's uh, facility for seven years. And so uh, we've been neighbors. And I applaud you all uh, for not um, um, for not moving way out where you could not impact the poor people in Knoxville. I thank you for serving God in that, in that community. If you've been serving God in that community, more than likely you have been serving portions of our ministry and portions of the bloodline of people of God that go to Overcoming Believers Church. So thank you. Thank you so, so, so much. I've been sitting here just for a few moments and just listening to worship and I just really feel the presence of God in this place. And where the spirit of the Lord is, the Word of God says, there's liberty, there's freedom. So I'm honored again to to be here. Would you do me a favor? Would you just touch somebody beside you in a safe place? Amen. Just um, <laughs> just, uh, touch somebody in a real Christian-like safe place. <laughs> Some of you guys like, oh man, if I'd have known he was gonna do that, I would have sat over there. <laughs> the Word of God says. Uh, Uh, According to Matthew 18, where two or three of us are gathered together in his name as touching anything in agreement there, he will be in the midst. And I'm believing that as we touch and agree tonight, that God is going to speak to our hearts. Every head is bowed. Every eye is closed. Father, we are so grateful uh, for the opportunity to be with you. Uh, It's it's good uh, to be in the house with the with the saints. You've called us to be a quarter of believers who love you and love one another. You can't love you without loving each other and for that we're honored. Thank you for the word of God. It is a lamp unto our feet. It's a light unto our path. It's a sword against the works of the enemy. Thank you Jesus for what you've done on Calvary's cross. We thank you for the blood tonight. Nobody preaches that anymore. Nobody talks about that anymore in the midst of preaching materialism and things and more things and more things. We have forgotten about the blood. And so, Father, I thank you that you've reminded us that without the shedding of blood, uh, there is no remission of sin. Thank you for all souls. Thank you, Lord, for the anointing that you placed on this ministry and for where you've placed them and their portion of purpose here in the vineyard. Now, oh God, use me, God, as a piece of clay as you did, Jeremiah, and mold me into your hands that you might. Uh, use me God to impact the people of God that are listening. I decrease and I ask you to increase, hide me behind the cross that nobody will see Daryl Arnold, but that they will leave saying that we were in the presence of God. We love you and we give you praise in Jesus name and all God's people said, hallelujah. hallelujah. And amen. I want to get straight into the text. Lawrence said I had 30 minutes and, uh, I'm going to submit to that. One of the things you, again, you don't want to do with a black preacher is say, take your time. Amen. Cause we do that. Amen. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to really be, uh, I'm going to be obedient to the time, uh, because, uh, I want to come back one day. Okay. <laughs> so, so the text that was read today was a, it's a phenomenal passage. It's, it's, it's fairly obscure. One day I was reading this. I thought that I'd do a I did a fairly good job of studying my Bible. I consider myself pretty, um, pretty connected to the Scriptures. But one day I was looking at Luke, the 13th chapter, and I read that first verse. And uh, the Bible says, according to this particular verse, verse, that one day these people came to Jesus and they, they asked him a question. Uh, they said, Jesus, do you know of the Galileans uh, that were killed by the sword by Pontius Pilate? Have you have you become aware of what took place? They they walked in while they were in worship and killed them and they did not just kill them. But the word of God says, according to Luke, the 13th chapter, verse one and two, that he took the blood of those that he had massacred there in that particular temple and take that took that blood and he mingled it with the blood of the sacrifice that was on the altar. Jesus responds in, a, in an interesting way. You would think he would respond differently, but he responds and says, oh, do you actually think that these Galileans that were killed on the other day by Pontius Pilate and their blood was mixed or mingled with the blood of the sacrifice, do you actually think that they were the worst people that lived in Galilee? And then Jesus looks at them and says to them this, unless you turn towards God, unless you repent, unless you change your mind, you're going to die also. I, I was I was struggling when I read that, but then I began to read more, and it looks like Jesus digs deeper into the wounds of these religious people and says, and do you know about the 18 that were killed in Jerusalem as they were standing up under the tower of Siloam, and it fell on them and crushed them? He says, have you heard about that? And they say, yes, we've heard about that. And then Jesus again digs deeper into Their religion, their traditionalism, their religiosity and says to them, do you actually think that those were the worst people that lived in Jerusalem? Do you actually think that that's why they died? He says, unless you turn towards God, unless you repent, unless your mind is changed concerning what you believe about God and yourself, you're going to die just like it. I don't have time to really deal with the text like I want to. But what I want you to understand that the context of this passage, I believe, is found in. Luke 12 so when you get a chance tonight as you begin to finish up your study and you begin to uh, develop uh, uh, just some time tonight and spend some time in the word of God go back to Luke 12 and you're going to find out that Jesus is having this theological debate with these Pharisees more than likely they are the Sanhedrin uh, council those that have come together and these religious leaders and, and he's trying to teach them that we are not saved that we do not have a relationship with God that we are not automatically in the kingdom based upon those things that we do in the natural what he was trying to teach these people as he begins to tell these stories is this it is extremely dangerous number one for you to equate what a person is going through based upon or or equate what a person's spiritual condition is based upon what they are going through I want you to get that tonight if you don't hear anything else. I want you to get that tonight because our church really needed to hear that. Our church really needed to hear this when I shared it with them that you cannot just look at a person and say because they are going through something bad, uh, difficult circumstance, a deficit in their finances, a struggle with their relationships with their husband, their wives, or their children, you cannot just assume that they've done something wrong just because they're going through some difficulties. My Bible says that the rain falleth upon the just as well as the unjust. The Bible says that the sun shines upon the just as well as the unjust and so please don 't listen to this heretical feel, 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 theological statements that we 've been hearing, especially on these these Christian television states, uh, shows that say that if you 're going through something it 's an indication that you 're not living for God. Is there anybody here today that knows that sometimes you just go through stuff because you 're going through stuff? There are people who are unbelievers. They are Muslims. They are Buddhists. They are Jehovah's Witnesses. They are disconnected from the commonwealth of Jesus Christ. And they go to the doctor and find out that they have cancer in their lungs. They go to the doctor and find out that they have cancer in their breast. Or they go to the doctor and find out that they have some type of disease or, or virus or some type of uh, ailment that has place in their lives. But then there are also believers, people who sing on this worship team, who play, who preach the gospel, who love. God and love God's people, and they also deal with some negative circumstances like cancer, like death. You cannot equate what a person's spiritual condition is based upon what they're going through. He's trying to teach them that. And not only is he trying to teach them that, he's trying to teach them that you are not righteous by by what you do or how you lived. You are righteous only by the blood of Jesus Christ. And then he begins to give this analogy. He's talking about Pontius Pilate here. He's trying to trying to teach them that that, that unless they turn and, and understand the reality of what righteousness really is, they're going to die also. I don't know where we got this doctrine from that, that you got to work your way into a relationship with Jesus Christ. That didn't work at the church that I pastor. I pastor a different type of church. It's, it's not like the church you see on TV where everybody got the big hats on and, and, uh, <laughs> and, and, and the ushers wear white gloves. Truth of the matter is, I wore this suit for y'all. I guess I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, I got I got regular people in our church, crips and bloods, crips and bloods come to my church every single Sunday. Every single Sunday, crips and bloods and vice lords and gangster disciples come to my church. I, I have to check them sometimes. They might have a Bible in one hand and a box cutter in the other. I don't know. So <laughs> we have to check them. I mean, we, we've got all types of different flavors of people. I've got people that are struggling with homosexuality that come in our church. They come in with their girlfriends, come in with, their boyfriends i've got all types of people single moms that come to our church people that are still struggling with all types of things and for some reason most of them grew up in churches where they thought that you had to be perfect just to come into the building but i had to try to teach the people of god that church listen to this the assembly of god the body of christ the ecclesia the church is not a museum for the saints the church is a hospital for six sick people, and none of us have been dismissed yet. All of us are on the IV. Every single one of us are struggling. We are still struggling with some stuff. So don't let the person that is sitting next to you make you think that they haven't done anything wrong this week. Oh, they've done something wrong. The only way that they've made it is because of grace. The only way that we've made it bec- is because of the blood of Jesus Christ. I teach the people all the time that you cannot clean a fish until you catch him first. And God wants us to understand that he has to catch the loss first, and then he will clean them up, them up later. Pontius Pilate was wicked. He was so wicked that while they were worshiping, brothers and sisters, he came in and he tried his best to destroy the people of God. He came in, and he came in with the sword. He came in, and he began to kill them, take them out one by one. He was trying, I believe, to create an attitude of cowardliness. He was trying to produce fear in the lives of the people that were worshiping, trying his best to keep them from serving God and going into the posture of worship. Fear is a work of the enemy that tries to keep you from moving forward in God. The Bible says this that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. That's what Paul said to Timothy that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Would you say that with me? For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but power love and a sound mind anytime the enemy sends you a gift of fear you cannot stop him from sending it but you can keep your, keep yourself from opening it up the enemy tries to keep us from moving forward by putting fear in our lives, fear of moving forward, fear of not being a good parent, fear of not operating in the things of God, fear of being unsuccessful in our businesses, fear of getting married, fear of walking away from that which we need to walk away from. He's always trying to produce fear in our life, especially in my life. The enemy is always trying to hover over me with fear. That's one of the strongholds that I have to fight every single day of my life. I'll be transparent and honest with you that I have to fight the spirit of fear because every time God tries to get me to step out on something new the enemy begins to tell me of how it's not going to work but then I was reading that passage and one day I exegeted that passage where it says that for God has not given us a spirit of fear and that Greek word there fear is phobos it's phobos is where we get the word phobia The fear of snakes, a phobia of being alone, a phobia of darkness, a phobia of being in high places, a a phobia, a phobia. That's where we get the word phobia. Uh, the, 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 The exegesis of the word phobia there literally means terror. That's where we get the word terrorism. It's where we get the word terrorist. And as I was praying one day, God said, the enemy is a terrorist. He's worse than ISIS. He's worse than Hezbollah. He's worse than Hamas. He's worse than than all of these uh, religious extremists. He is a terrorist, and his job is to try to get us so afraid that we cannot step out into that which God wants us to step out in. He's trying to immobilize us and keep us from moving forward. But as I was praying, the Lord says, yes, the enemy is a terrorist. He tries to put terror in your life, but also remember that the word terror is also a part of the word territory. If you can get over your fear, your phobia, your terror, it is an indication that God is about to take us into some more territory. And so after I got over that, I said, God, I, I'm, I'm understanding that when the enemy puts fear in my life, it's an indication that you're trying to, 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 to take me into another level of territory. I decided that no matter what the enemy said to me, whatever, no matter what he said to my mind, no matter how many times he told me that I was not good enough and I was not going to make it, I was going to move beyond my fear and I was going to stand in the posture of faith. That's, that's what God is speaking to us tonight about. It's time to move beyond your fear and go in to faith. The Bible says that Pontius Pilate not only came in and he tried to produce fear in their lives, but the Bible says, watch this, that while they were worshiping, this is what I want you to hear, while they were worshiping, while they were worshiping, he began to attack them. He did not attack them before they went into worship. He did not attack them after they came out of worship, but he, was a, he had desi- decided that he would attack them while they were in worship. That's what I loved about this place when I heard the worship team get up and I saw the hands of God lifted up and I heard the sweet the sweet worship of the people of God here. I said, God, I'm at home. I thank God that I'm not in some dead, boring church. I was worried about that for a minute. I said, God, please don't let this be a dead boring church. I don't do dead, bored church that well. And I said, God, please. And when I saw that the, the people of God led us into worship, I said, I'm in the right place at the right time and when and as i began to worship and as we began to sing i literally felt the presence of god show up in this room because in his presence is the fullness of joy there's nothing like worship There's nothing like worship. There's nothing like corporate worship because corporate worship changes an atmosphere. The Bible says, listen to this, that God dwells in the presence of us people, in the praises of his people. That literally means that when we praise God corporately, he builds a throne and he sits down with us. I love when people come to church, but it's even better than when God comes to church. And when we began to worship him on one accord, when we began to lift up our voices unto the Lord and give him what the what the what the what the word of God calls the fruit of our lips in Hebrews, when we began to exalt him, when we began to sing unto the Lord, God gets so excited in heaven that he steps down in earth. Did you know that God came to church tonight and your invitation that you gave God to come was in your worship? We did more than sing songs. This is not an R. Kelly concert. No, this is not a Michael Jackson concert. When we sang unto the Lord, we were singing to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and he showed up in this place. And when God shows up in his place, he brings everything you need that you've been asking him for, that you've been trusting him for. The presence of God is here, people of God. And when we worship him corporately, he turns things around on our behalf. You don't believe me? Let me take you to Acts 16. Acts 16 says that Paul and Silas one day, they were walking and doing the work of God and the enemy began to attack them just like in Luke 13. And the Bible says they took them and put them in shackles and put them in chains and threw them in jail and had decided that the next day that they would die. They knew that it was a death warrant over their lives, and they find the Bible says that they were in the inner chamber, and they were chained to soldiers, and they knew that they were going to die the next day. And Paul says to Silas, if we're going to die, we might as well die worshiping God. The Bible says that one of them sang songs, and the other would begin to pray, and as they began to worship, the Bible says at midnight. Ooh, at my church, we would have shouted right there. (laughs) <laughs> they would have hit the organ. They'd been right over there. An old lady would have knocked somebody's hat off. We would have had church right there at midnight. At midnight, the Bible says that an earthquake took place. The Bible says that even though everybody in the jail began to hear them worshiping God and an earthquake took place and everybody's doors swung open and everybody's chains fell off. There is a worship, Jesse. There's a worship that you can give, man. There's a worship that we can give, y'all. There's a worship that we can give right now that will open up doors that no man can shut. that that will break chains off. There's a worship, not just in our songs, but even in in, in our walk with God that we can give that will turn Park Ridge around where drug addicts and drug dealers would drop their drugs and become pharmacists and doctors. There's a worship that we can give even in our lifestyle where we won't have drive-by shootings anymore. There's a worship that we can give in our, in our lifestyle that things will turn around in every single community that we plant ourselves in. Don't you ever underestimate corporate worship. So when we began to worship and praise God, that's not the time to be tweeting and Facebook and, and Instagram and, and social cam and, and texting. No, God has called us here today, corporately, to worship him. Oh God, I wish you could believe me, but you don't. So let me give you another analogy. Uh, the Bible says that God had called his people to come out of Egypt by Moses. They sat, found themselves in the promise, in, in, in the wilderness, but then they, he called a Joshua to take them in, into the promised land. And as he tells Joshua, now tomorrow you're going into this promised land, but you don't even have to put your military people in front. I want you to walk around the wall six times. And on the seventh day, I want you to walk around. Don't say anything. But on the seventh lap, I want you to open up your mouth, not just you, but everybody that's with you and give me a shout and play the trumpets and create an atmosphere of worship. And they did it. And when they did it, the Bible says the walls came tumbling down. I know that's a good vacation Bible school story, but I'm telling you, there's a worship that we can give with our lips and with our lifestyle that will make walls come down. Let's just be honest. There's some walls in Knoxville that need to come down. Oh, it's okay to say, man, there's some walls between West Knoxville and East Knoxville. That need to come down it 's okay to say man there 's some walls between the Presbyterians and the Methodists that need to come down there 's some walls between the Pentecostal and uh, the Church of God that need to come down. If we give God worship, we get lost in the worship and we forget what denomination that we're connected to. You have not worshiped God right until you forget how much money you make, how many degrees that are on your wall, whether you have a suit that came out of uh, Goodwill or one you had tailor-made on. You have not worshiped God right until the presence of God comes down and walls begin to fall. Don't you know What's taking place right now is walls are falling down. That's why Doug invited me. He didn't invite me here because he needs a great speaker. I'm not a great speaker. He he can preach me. I'll preach me any day. He's here to teach us that God is calling us to worship in one accord so walls can come down. I wish you just praise God right now because I believe by faith that some walls are about to come down. I'm almost finished, Lawrence. I'm almost finished. I'm almost finished. Just don't tell me take my time. He came in and he and he, and he, began to, he began to attack them at worship because he knew that there's power in the atmosphere when we worship God. When we worship God, it produces an atmosphere that is powerful. Let, let me tell you a story, true story, true story. Uh, now Now, don't judge me. Don't judge me. But um, I've got a 20-year-old daughter. Don't judge me. I've got a 20-year-old daughter. I've got a 15-year-old daughter. Don't judge me. I've got a 6-year-old son and a 4-year-old son. I said don't judge me. And And they're all by the same woman. So I've got two families by the same woman. So now you know why this is white up here, and so and so my sons, so pray for him. Something wrong with him. Pray for him. So I, I, you know, I'm I'm older. You know, I got a lot of stuff to do. I travel a lot. I, I got a ministry I have to take care of. But I told my wife, I said, listen, I'm not going to allow ministry to mess with with the uh the upbringing of my sons. I'm going to be there with them. And uh and uh, but but Lord, this has been rough, you all. I was taking I was taking my six year old to school and and um and I had uh my 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 four year old in the in the back with him, and all they do is just fight. Just holler. Just he touched me, he touched me. Y'all know and y'all don't have those type of kids just and, and I just, and so I'm, I'm I'm on the phone, I'm on the phone, and um with with one of my past friends, and and I, and and he's like, man, why are they fighting? I said, man, they do this every morning, gets on my nerves so bad. I, I and I and I don't want to tell y'all what I want. I want to pull over, to pull the car over. Never mind. But um, I don't know who DHS might be in here, but y'all might not believe in whooping. I, <laughs> I don't whoop. I pray. I just. So, so so he says what are they arguing about i said i have no idea and my and my four-year-old says to me daddy tell Timberlin that a shark can whoop a panther <laughs> i said what what he says, tell him that a shark can kill a panther I said, you mean to tell me that you all are back there fighting over who will win a fight between a shark and a panther? I said, Dallas, this is the craziest thing I've ever heard. I dropped them off. And when I got dropped them off, I got home, and, and, and I, it hit me. I said, I wonder who would win that <laughs> fight between a shark and a panther. And I've been thinking about it all day long. Like, who would win the fight between a shark and a panther? And, and it hit me at the end of that night. It all depends on whose atmosphere they're in. You see, if, 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 if the shark is fighting on the land, then the shark will lose every time. But, but if, if the shark is fighting in the water, then the panther will lose every time. You you see, when we worship, it gets the devil into our atmosphere. It gets them into our arena. It gets them into our environment. And the enemy cannot win when we are corporately coming together in worship because that worship changes the atmosphere. Pilate was trying to contaminate and destroy the atmosphere of worship. The last thing that happens with Pilate, it it, it blows me away, is that Pilate, Thought he was smart. You see, Pilate is a type of the Antichrist. It's the spirit of control. Uh, He's he's just influenced by the things of the enemy. He's trying to always control and keep down God's people. And, And so look what Pilate does. Pilate goes in and after he kills them, listen to this, he takes the blood of the people that he had killed and he mingled it. Mixed it, one translation says, together with the blood of the lamb that they had killed. Yes. He he came and he killed the people while they were in worship. But he took their blood, human blood, and he mixed it, listen to this, with the, the, the blood of the sacrifice that was on the altar. He mixed it. Uh, the Lord spoke to me and said, "Pilate, Pilate is wicked, but Pilate is slow." I said, "God, what are you saying there?" He says, "He says that the problem with Pilate is is Pilate attacked the people too late." The Lord spoke this to me uh, a couple of weeks ago. He spoke this to me a couple of weeks ago, and I didn't understand what he was saying. But but my my pastor, my pastor who 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 pastored uh, Bannister had had met. He, he's 85 years old, and um, and he came and he consecrated our building nine nine weeks ago. He came in and he consecrated the building. He was 224 pounds. He came in and consecrated the building. He he taught me everything I know. He was my father. My father I never met my father uh, uh, until I was 18, 19 years old. Uh, he's a pastor at a big church in, uh, in, in Ohio, uh, but when he found out my mama was pregnant, he, he left, and so I, I never met him until I was 18, 19 uh, years old, and even to this day, he says I'm a rumor. Even to this day, he says I'm a rumor. And so, uh, what I love about what I love about God is is it's when, is when uh, the enemy takes somebody out of your life, God always puts somebody in your life to replace him. And, and so, I found myself uh, being. Being fathered by my pastor, I was saved under his ministry. I was delivered under his ministry. I was uh, I was called to preach under his ministry. He married me. He was at all of the things that I wish my other father, my real father, was at. And and he came and he consecrated my building. He was strong, two hundred and twenty-five, two hundred and thirty pounds. And then when he got back, he started to get sick, and they found out he had a brain tumor that took over three fourths of his brain. So when I went back to see him the last time, he was hundred and thirteen pounds. In nine weeks, he was 113 pounds from 225 pounds, eating everything you would put in front of him to, to, to me taking a syringe uh, with water and, and salt in it and squeezing it in his mouth just so he would would not die. And, and he died. And I preached his funeral just two weeks ago. I need you to still pray for me because I'm struggling with that. And, and I preached his funeral and, and, and I was saying, God, why, why did you let this happen? And he's 85 years old, and I know many of you are saying, well, that's a long life. Well, that's because he's not your pastor. Yeah, It's never long, no, it's never long enough. It's never long enough. And so uh, pray for me. I was carnal at the moment, and I just wanted to deal with my grief. I said, God, why did you let it happen? Why did you let the enemy come in and destroy such a wonderful man, a man that worked with Martin Luther King, a great man of God? And God spoke to me this very passage. He says, the devil is wicked, but he was too late. I said, what do you mean? He says, you remember that Pontius Pilate came in and killed them, and, and, he, and he tried to kill them. But he, when he killed them, he mixed the blood with the, all the blood of the sacrifice that was on the altar. He said, that's what he tried to do with Reverend H.H. Wright, he says, but it was too late. H.H. Uh, Wright had already had the blood of Jesus Christ on the mercy seat. And once the blood of Jesus Christ gets on the mercy seat, although we die, we get back up. Because the word of God says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He tried to mix the sacrifice of the humans there with the sacrifice I'm um, through with the sacrifice of the lamb. And so I said, God, look, I'm going to all souls and I don't know how to close this. And um, and I want to go back one day. And I said, now uh, you're going to have to help me close this thing. Uh, I said, now the the verse says that they mixed. They mixed these these This blood of these sinful men with the blood of the lamb that was on the altar. I said, now, God, I got enough soteriological understanding to to know that you can't mix, mix sinful blood with holy blood and, and expect to have some redemption. So, you're going to have to teach me because this thing got to go off. It, it can't go backwards. Uh, I said, God, you got to help me. I said, God, so you speak to me. And so I went into prayer. He said, I ain't going to talk to you this way. He said, I'm not going to talk to you this way. And so I opened up my Bible. He said, you ain't gonna, I ain't going to show it to you there. You're not going to feel it there. That ain't where I'm going to take you. Uh, I said, okay. Uh, he said, cut on TV. And so I cut on TV. And so I turned the TV in. I knew it was going to be there with Paul and Jan. It's got to be there, you know. And, and, and go to Paul and Jan. They were selling some uh, handkerchiefs or something, you know. <laughs> They were selling handkerchiefs. I didn't want no handkerchiefs. I'm good. And so I said, "God, what is it?" And, and I turned to CNN, y'all. I'm through. I, I turned to CNN. I turned to CNN. This, this, this is this, this. This just makes you think I'm finished. It's not really. But uh, I, I turned, I turned to CNN, and there was a woman. There was a woman standing, standing there on CNN. Her name was Anna Pham. Her name was Anna Pham, and I knew I had heard of her name before, but I couldn't figure out who she was. She was on CNN, and this woman on CNN also says, I first want to thank God that I'm still alive. Did y'all see that? I first want to thank God that I'm still alive. I said, did she say that on CNN? And then she says, then I want to thank all of you across the world for praying for me on CNN. She said that. I said, who is this woman? And then you can see the capture at the bottom that said that this was the woman who had contracted Ebola and was dying. I said, I thought she died. I just knew this woman died. And here she is standing up healthy, giving a testimony of the goodness of God. I said, now that's powerful. That's powerful. And she begins to go through all of these things. And then she says, I want to thank all of the doctors. All of the doctors that have helped me. But she says, but there's one doctor I really want to thank. And I said, who is this? And she says, Dr. Dr. Brantley. I said, who is Dr. Brantley? It was Dr. Kent Brantley. And it hit me. Wasn't that the doctor that had Ebola, that contracted it in, in Liberia doing a missions project? I thought he had died too, but he didn't. They brought him back. They could not do anything for him but connect him up to an IV, and they gave him fluids. They had counted him out. Most people thought that he was dead. He was dying, you guys. And the next thing you know, he started fighting back. He started fighting back. His white blood cells count began to to increase, and it was fighting off the death of Ebola in his bloodstream. And the next thing you know, the death that was in his blood was no longer there, and he was back 100%. I said, I wonder why she's thanking him. And she says, I want to thank him for giving me his blood. I said, you mean to tell me this man had Ebola in him? And she took his blood. I called my mama. My mama's a nurse. She said, boy, what happened? It's because he was victorious over the disease that was supposed to kill him. He was creating antibodies in his blood. So now his blood no longer has death in it. It has life in it. And when they mix Kent's blood, I told you I knew where I was going. <laughs> with Fam's blood. The antibodies in Kent's blood fought off. Lord, have mercy. The death inside of Anna Fam's blood. And she is now standing because, watch this, not because of her blood, but because of his blood. I don't know if you get it yet. <laughs> you were a little slow, but you worth waiting on. But the only reason we're here tonight, worshiping God, loving on God, heaven being our home, is not because we've been good. It's not because we've done all the right things. It's not because we've given every time. It's not because we've shared the gospel when God called us to share the gospel. It is not because we've lived perfect lives or even a perfect week. The only reason that you're here tonight and you can lift up your hands and worship God with boldness is because he's covered you and mixed you with his blood. That's what I challenge you to do. I challenge you to thank God for the blood today. I challenged our people to start editing their prayer request Stop asking God for another car, for another house, for a husband, for a wife, for a bigger Christmas. Stop asking God for a promotion. Stop asking God for a vacation and a trip and better credit. Why don't you just take a few moments and say, God, thank you for your blood. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, where sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilt and shame. I know it was the blood. I know it was the blood. I know it was the blood for me. One day, Daryl Arnold was lost, but he died upon the cross. I know it was the blood for me. Lift your hands, close your eyes, and for just a second, thank Him for the blood.